Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. I'm joined on this episode by three guests, the producer and director of a dramatic new documentary called Hell or High Seas, which will be featured beginning April 1st at the Social Impact Film Festival, sponsored by Entertainment to Effect Change. Nick Hudson, the executive director of E2AC, will also be joining us to talk about this film and the festival in general. Hell or High Seas follows U.S. Navy veteran Taylor Greiger and his lifelong friend writer Stephen O'Shea as they embark on the adventure of a lifetime, sailing around Cape Horn, the world's most treacherous ocean waters. The documentary is a moving portrait of a veteran using his own painful journey with PTSD to find healing for himself and pave a smoother path for veterans returning to civilian life. We'll be speaking with director Glenn Holston and producer Shane Gregg. Here's the film's trailer. Back then, a pretty good storm tonight. Not one of those hit you and quit you types. Since I was a kid, man, all I wanted to do was sail around the world. And I joined the military as a stepping stone to make that possible. After getting out of the military, I was diagnosed with PTSD. And it was pure hell. I ended up putting a Glock to my head and pulled the trigger. And it didn't go off. What am I still doing here? Was it a second chance? I wanted to show my buddies getting out that they weren't the only ones going through this. That kid loves with a huge heart. And to him, all the military guys are his family. So I took up an impossible challenge, sailing around Cape Horn to raise awareness about what's really going on with veterans. I put everything into this expedition. I've lost everything for this expedition, too. Boat's leaking, caught on fire last night, pushing her luck. I question myself all the time. Is everything that I've given gonna change anything? You feel alive out here. You're working with the winds, you're working with the water. You know, she beats you down, but at the same time, she rewards you when that sun comes out. It's just a ray of sunlight coming out over a glacier. That kid won't give up. <laughs> he won't give up on anything. You're not prepared for everything. All you can do is just take the storm and keep on pushing through it. Life is worth the fight. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum, from providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs. Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing, leave a review, and share with friends. And now on to my conversation with Nick Hudson, Glenn Holston, and Shane Gregg. 
Welcome to Making Media Now, Nick Hudson, Shane Gregg, and Glenn Holston. Great to uh, be speaking with all of you today. Nick Hudson has actually joined us on the podcast before. Nick is the executive director of an organization called Entertainment to Effect Change. And Entertainment to Effect Change, or E2AC, as they're often referred to, is actually hosting uh, and running a social impact film festival that's going to be running uh, April 1st and 2nd, uh, just a few days away from our record date. And Nick, I want to welcome you back to the Making Media Now podcast. I appreciate it. Good to be back, Michael. And I know entertainment to affect changes of mouthful, so uh, E2AC is totally fine to say. That, that one rolls off the tongue. <laughs> and one of the films among many that's going to be featured at the film festival is a documentary called Hell or High Seas, directed by Glenn Holston. And Shane Gregg was one of the producers of the film. So welcome to each of you. Um, I want to talk to uh, Nick for a moment about, uh, first of all, for our listeners who aren't familiar with E2AC, uh, give us a description of what distinguishes E2AC from other media organizations, really. E2AC is pretty unique, and number one, in that it's a nonprofit organization, it's a 501c3. So um, sometimes there's some confusion as to what exactly the role of a 501c3 is when it comes to production. But the easiest way to think about it is that E2AC is, you know, just like another agency. Um, it, it, the big exception is that we don't have a huge staff or really any staff of in-house creatives. We go out and source things on a sort on a project to project basis. So we do films, both scripted and unscripted, feature length and short. We do live events, we do podcast production, we do uh, impact campaigns for projects. Um, with the big difference being that we don't have a huge staff uh, and a lot of overhead to cover, we just take each project on its own and then go out and find the right talent in the form of creatives and other agencies sometimes. Um, and that's how we're able to staff up projects. And as a nonprofit, we're able to raise money for projects uh, and support it in you know a variety of ways that, that are pretty unique as opposed to a for-profit company. How did the idea for the Social Impact Film Festival come about? The Social Impact Film Festival was very much an accident. Uh, we have a really large student cohort, which is which is amazing. Um, E2AC on campus, we have about 100 interns per year um, broken up in, over the course of three semesters. And we're constantly looking for cool projects for them to jump into and work on. Uh, especially during COVID because everything's been remote. So we don't have a traditional internship format where someone could go to a shoot and, you know, sit in on an, and, and, you know, help out in that regard. So during COVID, we had to get pretty creative about what we wanted to, you know, ask them to spend their time on. And uh, starting a festival from scratch is something we always thought would be really cool and really interesting. And this was kind of the perfect uh, storm of opportunities to try that. So we said we knew that we wanted it to be free. We didn't, we, we know that we've been a part of other festivals and we thought it's kind of tough, you know, particularly in independent filmmaking to have to, you know, spend $70, $80 every time you want to submit a film. So we wanted to essentially make it free to submit or at least heavily subsidized. We actually only charge people um, if they wanted to donate or if it, they were late. <laughs> and then um, we knew that we wanted to be remote because we didn't know what would happen with COVID. We started planning it um, in 2021. So uh, that's how it came about. And the idea was, let's get films out there that people might otherwise not be able to see. 
due to distribution, or maybe they're not familiar with because they're independently produced, or they're uh, emerging filmmakers who maybe are, are, are not very credited or uncredited. Let's shine a little bit of light on them. And uh, let's give people the opportunity to watch those films, because we know working in, in production, how important they are. And we know that, you know, really, there's a ton of films out there that people don't get a chance to see. And, and how, how many fix that? how many films will be uh, screened at the Social Impact Film Festival that's coming up on April 1st and 2nd? Uh, April 1st and 2nd. Good. Uh, good plug there. Uh, there'll be 32 films. Uh, um, they're uh, an assortment. We actually split them. Half are professionals. So people who are credited, uh, who are, who are, you know, have, have other films, in their name, and then half they're uncredited. So we look for recent graduates, uh, emerging filmmakers, people who, you know, otherwise would, would probably not get the opportunity to reach an audience like this. And we split it 50, 50. So it's 16 each. Among those films that most definitely fall into the uh, professional category uh, is this documentary, Hell or High Seas. And the synopsis of the film is that it tells the story of a U.S. Navy vet named Taylor Greiger and a a friend of his from high school. So these guys are lifelong buddies. Uh, His friend's name is Stephen O'Shea. And the film covers how they embark on a 10,000-mile ocean voyage, sailing around Cape Horn. They start out from Pensacola, uh, Florida, to sail around Cape Horn. And the film has just every single element of a human interest story, an adventure story, a really uh, profound drama, both on a personal level and also in terms of the the relationship between the friends. Um, and this may seem somewhat self-explanatory once I, I, I share that one of the elements of the film is how the protagonist, Taylor uh, Greiger, is using this journey really as a uh, a metaphor for facing and overcoming debilitating PTSD. As I as I mentioned, Taylor is a uh, a Navy vet, um, and since he had been out of the military, uh, he exhibited signs of PTSD himself, and and knew far too many. Uh, other veterans who suffer from PTSD and and far too many of them actually taking it way too far to ending their own lives. So I was curious, uh, Nick, how this particular film came onto your radar and what made you say this is the type of film that we want to have in the Social Impact Film Festival? Yeah. Number one, the film is really unique and and. I was introduced to it uh, via a mutual friend of Shane Gregg, who uh, luckily we'll be able to speak right after this and certainly speak more about the film in more depth. Um, and so I was introduced to the film through that friendship. And uh, the thing that really stood out to me was if you were going to craft a film, I think it was from a filmmaker point of view about PTSD through the lens of a veteran. A lot of people know that story or they think they know that story. You know, they think that they have an idea of how that person got PTSD, um, when the diagnosis, you know, did or did not occur, maybe what led them, what their life might be like. And that might just be through their own experience. It's probably through maybe some TV or film that they've seen and what they think about flashbacks are. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that not to give anything, but one of the things that really stood out was a moment in the film where they talk about the percentage of uh, veterans who have PTSD who, who actually were not combat veterans, but still experience it. Um, and that's just a, that's a totally different just shocking moment to me that really stood out. Um, Yeah. What I found really interesting too, was there was um, information given about the biochemical uh, Mm -hmm. impact um, 
and how it results in PTSD. In other words, the uh, the the brain or segments of the brain almost becoming addicted to a certain type of an adrenaline rush um, and lacking that these symptoms of PTSD uh, do emerge. Uh, I don't want to leave our other two guests uh, just sitting around listening to us having a, a chat, Nick. So <laughs> I just want to reintroduce the, the film's director, Glenn Holston, and one of the producers on the film, Shane Gregg. Now, Shane, you and Glenn are both part of an organization called Fly Fresh, your multimedia production company. Um, <laughs> there's a Fresh symbol fly. there. Fresh, fresh fly. fly. Fresh fly. Fly <laughs> yeah, fresh is cool too. Yeah. Fresh fly. Okay. There's my dyslexia. That's another program, however. Um, in any case, tell me, uh, either one of you, uh, how you became aware of Taylor's story and how you decided that, you know what, this could make a compelling film. Happy to. So I have done a lot of work in the mental health field. I've done a couple of full-length documentaries about journeys of recovery and journeys of discovery and all in the attempt to create discussion about mental health. And um, a fan of some of those films, her name is Jean Shanahan, called me up and she said, my nephew, Stephen O'Shea, is doing something interesting and they're posting some videos, but I, I think there's more to it and I think they could use your help. And she said, would you take a look at their Patreon videos? Because they were funding their sailing trip through Patreon videos. So I said, yes. And I didn't have a ton of expectations because I'm asked a lot to look at things. And a lot of times it's cell phone footage, which is awesome when it's crafted the right way. But a lot of times it's just a kind of a mess. And I really don't know how I can help untangle that. But what I saw with Stephen and Taylor's Patreon videos, first of all, Stephen is a writer, but he's also a fine videographer and a pretty good editor. So he's got this sort of aesthetic sensibility. And but what I saw was Taylor immediately, a very natural speaker and then a very natural um, human on camera who was not performing. There were no layers there. It was just sort of raw emotion and raw, raw need to tell his story and raw need to live a story. Um, so I, I, I saw this this fighter who I call Taylor and then this writer, Stephen. And I thought this is a really powerful combination. The elements are really good. The journey was quite ambitious. We didn't know at the time if they would make it or not. All good things for a documentary. Um, and also the idea of someone like Taylor, who's so different from me. I mean, Taylor curses really well. I'm, I'm not a very good curser. <laughs> but Taylor's such a different guy from me, but we've had to sort of share the same common goal of trying to explain to people what a mental health journey is like. And I've done it before in films. I knew I could help them and I knew I wanted to help them. So what I did was I turned to Shane, producer extraordinaire, and our editor, Vic Carino. And I, I showed them these raw, these Patreon videos. And I said, I think there's something pretty great here. And they jumped on right away. They were like, uh, yes. It happened to be in the middle of their journey when they were taking a break. And you might be, be talking about that in a bit. So Stephen happened to be in New York City um, and he came to Philadelphia where Shane and I are based. And it was a very easy collaboration from the start. We just knew we wanted to help them. They needed the help. They knew that they needed some help. And from there on, we just started to build the film together. 
And was this at the point in the film? Because, you know, one of the things that's so uh, engaging and captivating, captivating about the film is that there are a lot of challenges that are faced. There are, you know, the some some of them are the the ones that you might expect in, in terms of there's going to be storms and there's going to be rough seas and so forth. But the, the you know, it, it's not like they were sailing a state of the art vessel. <laughs> um, and it's amazing the work that they did themselves, uh, going to the university of YouTube, uh, to, to figure out how to get that done. Um, Shane, I'm curious when you saw this is this sort of very rough assemblage of footage that already existed, did you immediately, uh, share Glenn's take that, yeah, we could make something special out of this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Uh, For all the same reasons that Glenn just outlined, you know, what I could maybe add to that, too, that what we thought was really noble and really great about what they were trying to do was, you know, they were creating this film for something that was that was bigger than themselves. You know, they wanted to do this for a reason that they wanted to help others. And they thought by creating this film that they could accomplish that. And to us, that was um, that was really wonderful and something that we wanted to be part of um, you, to be able to use the skills that we've acquired over many years to now use them towards um, this project that can in turn be a benefit to uh, the veteran community. And that was pretty amazing to be able to be part of something like that. And there were there was a, at least a couple of instances where they essentially had to go to land uh, for a while for repairs. There was one anticipated one week stop. I can't recall exactly where it was. It turned into a two month stop. Was that the juncture that uh, Stephen came to you, Glenn? Actually, no, it was when they had broken down, when the boat had caught fire. Yes. And Taylor said, let's end this now. And he sent Stephen and um, his other friend home. What's his yep. name? <laughs> John, John. Uh, and so they actually didn't know it was going to go down after that because Taylor was not in a great place, place mentally at that time. He mm-hmm. sort of, uh, but Stephen used that time wisely to sort of build partnerships like the one he, he built with us. Uh, and then they went back and finished the voyage. I'm not going to tell you how it ended, but uh, they finished the voyage somehow uh, with our support then. And, and sure. we, we, we loaded them up with a few more GoPros and we, you know, I've done this once before where I sort of advised a, a filming team long distance on how to, how to capture things and what to look out for. And uh, that was, that was really exciting. Although, you know, we sent them out to the great unknown and I turned to Shane. I said, gee, no, have we done the right thing? Are they going to make it? Are they going to be okay? That was a lot of, a lot of questioning after the fact. Sure. Yeah. You know, when I was watching the film, it was the, these, those questions from a production standpoint just kept racing through my head. I was, I was thinking, all right, who's getting that shot? How are they capturing that shot? It's not like, and it would be during some pretty intense um, uh, situations with weather and, and climbing up a, a mainsail and, and so forth. And one thing that you do really, really effectively uh, in the film is used animation to recreate recollections. Uh, talk a little bit about how you, how you came to um, making that creative decision. Well, there were moments when Stephen, when we met them, Shane and I went down to Patagonia after the journey was done and we did some sort of pickup shooting and sort of insert shots of, you might notice some gorgeous clouds and 
sales exploding in slow motion and stuff yeah, like it's that. a beautiful we, film. <laughs> we we peppered stuff like that but at the time they were telling us about these amazing adventures that they had but of course a lot of them were times when they had to save their own lives and they weren't thinking about picking up a camera but i knew we wanted to include them somehow so what let me when we were in Patagonia, I asked, I interviewed them and I got the audio for audio storytelling of these adventures when the pirates came and they thought their lives were at risk when they were fighting the hurricane, when this, when the two of them went overboard and Stephen thought he was alone right. uh, in the middle of the ocean. Yep. And we knew we wanted to do some animation and, and we just looked around for things that inspired us. And we teamed up with a wonderful uh, motion graphics team. Andrea Bataille and Penny Ashman, who had the sense of adventure that we did about it. We knew we didn't want it to be sort of cell animation. We knew we wanted it to be sort of rough and foggy and sure. full of full of question marks. Like, well, what am I seeing here? Because that's what happens in those moments in people's lives. Right. And they came up with this great kind of Rauschenberg-y, collage thing that I, I loved very much. And the process was so fun working with them to make these animated sequences. We were inspired from so much YouTube footage, still photographs, the references were all kinds of modern art. Uh, it was just a really a great collage of things that went into these animated sequences, which I, I like. I'm so glad you liked them. I thought they were so much fun to work on. Yeah. And in in what I found really fascinating was the human forms. Mm -hmm. um, it They felt so, this is going to sound ridiculous, they felt so lifelike. <laughs> <laughs> the the, you know, the yeah. human forms when the uh, the bits of an animation are are included and uh, uh, you know another thing that's great about it is it's not a lot of it but it really they they serve as great uh, sort of bridges uh, from you know one very compelling part of a story to another uh, wherein you know neither one of them was holding the camera for instance when they got into that fight <laughs> walking through the boatyard <laughs> and yet that felt so real. <laughs> well, that was fun. We went, I went to Texas and we pulled up on this old beach and it was a very, happened to be a very foggy night for some strange reason, which worked beautifully. And we actually filmed it. And then we filmed the fight slow motion, um, recorded the audio. They were fine to re re relive it. <laughs> they wrestled in the mud for a while. And then we came back and there's this combination of rotoscoping and then scratching on the frame. And it was just, it was sort of deconstructed a bit to make it just a little bit sketch, a little bit foggier, as I mentioned, and just let you fill in the blanks on what you think is going on. Sure. Uh, Shane, I've often heard that the relationship between the producer and the director is sometimes analogous to the kite and the string, where the, uh, you know, the, the, the director just wants to sort of let fly with wherever the vision goes. And the producer is the guy that's sort of holding the string. And, you know, they're with you in spirit. But did, did you have to be hanging on to that kite pretty hard during this film? Or uh, did, did you feel like you and Glenn were sort of always looking through the same lens just to torture the metaphor. Yeah, you know, that's a good metaphor, actually. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate that and that Glenn and I have a really great relationship where, you know, I don't I I feel like it's my job to try and do the best I can to make any vision that the director has come to life and not try and, and be like a roadblock to that. Now, sometimes budgets are what they are and you just have to play within that. Um, but in this particular case, we were able to reach out to some colleagues that we had worked with previously on many other projects. And because of the nature of the project, because it what it represented, because of what it was meant to be used for, they were very willing to work with us at, at very at very favorable price points. And so that's how we were able to do it. You know, sure. so we we leveraged the relationships that we had to try and still create the vision that we wanted. 
Um, and that was really fortunate for us because we, we had that relationship with them. We had built that over time and it wasn't exploiting it. It was, it was using, um, colleagues that we knew and trusted to create something that we knew was going to be difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And they totally rose to the challenge. And it was, um, and like Glenn said, it was a lot of fun creating those animation sequences. It was, it was very creative. It gave us an opportunity to think way outside the box. Like, how can we do this? We don't have a Marvel movie budget. You know what I mean? We're working with a fraction of what they would have, but it still needs to be entertaining, right? You still have to hold the audience uh, so that they're not kind of like, oh, um, this is cheap animation and nice try guys, you know? So that's, uh, this is where we ended up. And I, I was really proud of what we were able to come up with. Yeah. It's, as I said, it's a beautiful, it's, it's, it's beautiful to look at. It's it's such a compelling and dramatic and, and you know, uh, in the end, very uplifting story. Glenn, you had referenced uh, having made several films before dealing with uh, mental health. And I'm curious if you have found that um, it, it takes a particular type of approach to kind of establish a trust with people who are being really pretty vulnerable on film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's my priority is, is making sure that everybody feels like they know what it has to be an exchange. Everyone has to know what they're getting out of this. So if someone is about to share this very personal journey with you, they have to know why they're doing it and they have to know what, what their goals are. Luckily for us in this particular case, Taylor was very, very certain. He wanted to make a film that would reach every veteran that would prevent people from feeling alone in this journey that he felt so alone in. So right. he knew all along what he wanted to do. And Stevens was the same. Stephen is, is, is equally as on board with that mission as, as we were. So this was not a challenging one. What was challenging though, was to get Taylor to be comfortable being so vulnerable. He, you know, the Navy is a, a kind of a macho place. And, you know, he was very worried about what his buds would perceive as being weak. Sure. Um, and so that was a big thing to get through. And, and, and all the footage that they had filmed, they did a great job filming their adventure. They did a great job with their drone filming these super shots. There was lots and lots of beautiful, beautiful things. But we both Shane and I thought that there was a layer of depth missing. So that's when we went down to Patagonia to do what I consider like a key interview with Taylor, where he recounts his, his very, very personal journey of attempting to take his life and it not, not, not happening uh, the way he had planned, thankfully, and him considering this a second chance on life. Mm-hmm. So that took a lot of consideration. And in fact, that interview, we were very mindful. We, we were on a boat in Patagonia the, everyone extra went off the boat, was waiting on shore. We, we sailed out to a place that felt private and we just took our time talking to each other. And, um, and all the while, you know, my, my, I do believe that if I'm working with somebody, they have the right to know that if there's something that they don't want in the film, it doesn't make the film. I, I, I'm not, I'm not here to trick somebody. I'm not Geraldo. I'm not here to reveal somebody. Right. I'm here to sort of take this, this gift that they're giving and hold it really carefully in a way that they feel comfortable. So that was the understanding. And, and it, went, it went really well. And he, he, he went to a really dark place and very truthfully and honestly recounted it. And it's very impactful. And I think it really is the heart of the movie. For folks that don't have the opportunity to, to screen the film during the social impact film festival, uh, is, are there other ways that 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 listeners can seek out and watch Hell or High Seas? 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. So they can find it on a number of different platforms. Uh, probably the most popular for us are Apple TV and YouTube, but it's it's on a number of different uh, outlets. Uh, Google, Vudu, um, you can rent it right directly from um, the website as well, too. And uh, we're hoping actually we'll be on Amazon. We're hoping here soon that uh, it will also be available on Amazon, too. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of different places you can find it right now. That's cool. Google, to, just Google search it and it'll pop right up. That's excellent. <laughs> and it's it, it, it's going to be taking its its place alongside many other uh, very compelling and worthy films at Entertainment to Effect Changes Film Festival called the Social Impact Film Festival, which will be April 1 and 2. So coming up right at the end of this week. And uh, I've been sharing a great conversation with Nick Hudson, who's the executive director of E2AC. And I've been speaking with the producer, Shane Gregg, of Heller High Seas, and the director, Glenn Holston. Gentlemen, I thank you all for your time. And um, can't wait to see what else is at that film festival, Nick. This has been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. And thanks, Glenn and Shane. Good to see you and uh, hear you as always. Yes, thank you so much. Michael, thank you. My pleasure.